happy Valentine's Day, everybody. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Could we give a round of applause for the Overflow Dance Ministry? What a wonderful job they did. Praise the name of the Lord. Also, thank you to the praise and worship team and the media team and operations, all who make this service a success. We're grateful to the presence of the Lord for being here. Um, also, we want to get ready to uh, ask our Sunday school question for the week or our children's question for the week. And here is the children's question for the week. The question is, who is the other prophet that lived at the same time as Micah? Again, who is the other prophet that lived at the same time as Micah? If you know the answer, please make sure that you send this for children, 17 years old and under. Uh, fill out that question and send it to the email address below. I also want to say that I got my second vaccine shot, shot uh, for the uh, COVID-19 and uh, got that Friday and they told me that that was going to be the rougher shot and they didn't lie. Uh, so uh, keep me in prayer, but I'm here by the grace of God. Amen. Um, let's get to the word. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. I'm reading from the ESV version. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering as the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They chose also Philip. They chose also Pacorus. They chose also Nicanor, they chose also Timon. They also chose, not T-bone, Timon. They chose also Parmenas, Nicholas, who was a proselyte, that is a non-Jewish man of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid hands on these men. The result of these men entering into the service of serving people was that the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly at the church of Jerusalem and a great many of the priests came to become obedient to the faith. I want to speak to you on the subject, the prejudiced church. The prejudiced church. I pray that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto us 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord. Let the eyes of the understanding of our hearts be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance that you have for each and every one of us who are your saints. I pray that you would help us to know the exceeding greatness of your power towards us, believers who believe. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray that my speech and my preaching will not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but demonstration of spirit of power, that our faith will not rest in the wisdom of a man or the wisdom of Brian Green, but in the power of God. And finally, God, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, I pray that you would also bear witness to what I'm saying, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I know that this is a subject when people see it that it may cause a little bit of anxiety, but I, I'm praying to God that we will land in a good space so that you can understand what God is trying to use our church to do. I believe that we're called uh, about a few Fridays ago, uh, Brother Emmy led us in midnight prayer on Friday presence of the Lord moved really strongly of Emmy Adonze, and he spoke about building altars and, and repairing altars. And I really feel that what God wants to do in Pentecostal Tabernacle is build an altar of reconciliation. I really believe that we are one of the churches that God wants to use to bring reconciliation to the body of Christ. And that's why we're doing such a deep work of repentance and a deep work of coming to terms with certain things that maybe have been glossed over. And so I want to encourage you to go on this journey uh, with me for the, for the body of Christ's sake. I believe that God has called us to affect more than in Pentecostal Tabernacle. I believe we're one of the churches that God is calling to have an impact on the body of Christ. I want to talk to you about three things. I want to talk to you about the problem, the prejudice, and the positive. I want to end in the positive note. The problem, the prejudice, and the positive. First of all, here's the problem. The problem was that in the church during this time, uh, this is probably maybe a few, a couple of months after Pentecost, Pentecost being a holiday, uh, a holiday, a Jewish holiday. It's called Shavuot, but we call it Pentecost. And so many times there were Jews, Jewish people who were coming from around the world to celebrate this holiday of, of uh, celebrating the harvest, the first harvest that the Lord was given to his people, uh, usually called the Bali harvest. Anyways, uh, as you know, the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, and it was the birth of the church. And so what uh, tends to happen is that many people who came to Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot or Pentecost because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, many of them did not return back home. And so you have uh, uh, this large mixture, this large uh, culturally diverse uh, Jewish church because there were only Jews, Jewish people who were of the church of that time. And uh, so there were two different kinds of Jewish people. There were Jewish people who lived in Jerusalem and Judea and, and Gallagheta area, and they spoke the native tongue of Aramaic. They spoke Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic, and they were descendants 
uh, they were descendants of the ancestral language and prided themselves that they had no foreign mixture in their lives. The second group of Jewish people were called Hellenists. That is, they were from other countries who came back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, Shavuot, and uh, these individuals, they had forgotten or lost their ability to speak Hebrew or Aramaic, so they only spoke uh, uh, Greek. And thus, the Jewish people who spoke Aramaic and spoke Hebrew, um, these people looked down on the Jewish people who could only speak Greek. And so there was a snobbery, there was a looking down on them. And, and so this, this, uh, this was the first time that the church was about to experience a split. There was the problem, there was the prejudice, the, the people who could speak the native tongue would look down and say, okay, you're a mixture, you're, you, 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 you're, not, you're not a pure Jewish person. So there was prejudice. Just like in today's church, there is prejudice. I want to give you four definitions of prejudice, which I just lifted out of the dictionary. One definition of prejudice is a preconceived judgment or opinion. So we can be prejudiced against anybody because we have a pre, pre-judged, preconceived judgment or opinion. Another definition of prejudice is an adverse opinion or leaning formed without just grounds or justice grounds before sufficient knowledge. It's sort of the, the statement of, I make an assumption about you before I really even know who you are. Another definition of prejudice is an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand without knowledge, thought, or even reason. Number four, which can be very harmful, and that is unreasonable feelings, opinions, or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature regarding an ethnic, racial, social, or religious group. Again, unreasonable feelings, opinions, and they're often especially hostile in nature. And this is what was happening here in Acts chapter 6. There was a hostility towards the individuals who could not speak Aramaic, who, who just by their uh, language let people know that, oh, you are not a pure Jewish person, so you have mixture with the Greek culture. So there is this, this, this tension in the body of Christ. There's this tension, and I like the wisdom of the apostles because what they did, the group of people who were being mistreated, the group of people who, were, uh, who had uh, prejudice against them, the apostles said to them, instead of saying, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Aramaic Jews and say, okay, come on, you guys. You need to treat the, the uh, Hellenistic uh, Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. You, you, you need to treat them right. No, beautiful uh, wisdom. They said, let us, let us pick 
people from among the Hellenistic Jews. We're going to let you pick the people who you want to lead you. And so what you may not realize is that all seven of the individuals who they picked to be, as some, some of us will call them deacons, they were, none of them were Aramaic Jewish people. All of them, actually six of them, were Hellenistic Jews, meaning, thank you, Holy Spirit, six of them belonged to the people whose widows were neglected, and one of them was actually not Jewish at all. He was a Gentile. And so God knew that if I could pick people among those who were disenfranchised, I know that those leaders among the disenfranchised will take care of their people properly. And that's how the problem was solved. Now, there is no doubt that we're dealing with prejudice in America. Obviously, we focus on racial justice. But before we even talk about racism, which has been almost a theme over the last year, I think we need to take a step before that and talk about being prejudiced. One of the things that struck me, as many of you know, the, the impeachment trial of President Donald John uh, Trump was, came to a conclusion yesterday, and uh, there was not enough votes to impeach him. And I don't want to focus on that. We all know that the whole trial stemmed from the events that took place on January 6th. And what struck me about January 6th was not so much that people and particularly police officers were being beaten with an American flag, but what struck me was that this flag was also present. And some of you, unless you grew up in a traditional church, you wouldn't even know what this flag is, but this flag actually represents the church. It is a flag that was designed in 1897 by Charles Overton and uh, Ralph Eugene Defendefort. And what's interesting about this flag is the white represents purity. It represents Holiness. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Holiness, being set apart for God. And then, of course, the, the red cross, if you can see that on the top, it represents the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no axis, no matter whether you are black, white, Asian, uh, of Spanish descent, no matter who you are, we all must come to Jesus through the blood of the Lamb. Amen. 
And then the blue represents water baptism. And Paul talks about there's only one God, one Christ, one Holy Spirit, one baptism. And so here is a flag that tells us that when we are the church, we should be one people. And yet, on January 6th, we saw pictures of the flag, if we can go to that screen, being present at the riots. We saw pictures of signs that says, Jesus save, at an insurrection. And that caused such pain amongst people as they said, wait a minute, it's bad enough that unbelievers are acting this way, but what, how can the church, how can the church be present in such a rebellious insurrection? And it caused a lot of pain where even children were smart enough to say, if that event was a Black Lives Matter event, far more than five people would have been killed. And right there and then, right there and then, we had a, an undeniable picture of this is America. Now, that is, low, that, that is low hanging fruit. What I mean by that is that when we talk about prejudice and racism, but more prejudice, not racism, but more prejudice, we usually tend to think about the prejudice of um, white people who may be prejudiced against black people, and you know, I've experienced that growing up uh, in this area uh, back in the 70s, even 60s. But I, want, I wonder if we would really lay ourselves before the altar of the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, have I, have, have I or have we as a church dealt with our own prejudice that we may even cloak as national pride. Oh, my Lord. What do I mean? I'm talking about being prejudiced in the black family. I'm talking about people from certain African nations that may not like people from other African nations. Mm. My descendant is uh, West Indian, Barbados. And there can be some contention or prejudgment of certain West Indian islands towards others. Uh-oh. See, the low-hanging fruit is white people. But what, what, what are we doing to deal with our own prejudice? My mentor, 
oh yes, I'm growing there. My mentor, one of my, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. William Bentley, uh, actually, uh, he, he passed away, but his wife is a legend in black campus ministries of uh, InterVarsity. So those of you who are familiar with InterVarsity know uh, Dr. Ruth Bentley. Uh, she's a legend, uh, and she's celebrating her 80th birthday uh, uh, this month. But I remember talking to Dr. Bentley, uh, uh, William Bentley, and uh, I remember I'll never forget this, and Dr. Bentley's probably been dead now for about 20 years, passed away, but I'll never forget this. He was the presiding elder of our organization, and then, for want of a better word, in a moment where he left his, when he let his, down, his God down, he, he said, he said, basically, I am frustrated at how the West Indians in this organization, because our organization, believe it or not, well, it's, it's, um, it started in 1917 uh, and, not sorry, 1919. So we celebrated 100 years, and it was birthed in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Cambridge, Massachusetts, back in 1919, was a place where a lot of uh, West Indians migrated to Cambridge, particularly from the island of Barbados. And so our organization was started by uh, three uh, pastors from Barbados, one uh, pastor of Abundant Life Church. At that time, they were called Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Uh, another one where Bishop Larry Ward is a pastor. The other church was uh, First Holiness Church, which is now Kingdom Empowerment Church. And that was pastored, that's pastored by Pastor Lorraine Thornhill. And the third church was Christian Mission Holiness Church, which is located right near um, Bertucci's in, in Cambridge. Uh, that is around Central Square, and, and that's pastored by Clayton, uh, Reverend Clayton Ward. So those three pastors got together and sent a man from Chicago, uh, no, a, a, an African-American uh, from down south who moved to Chicago. They, they, he had a burden on his heart to do missions work in Liberia, and so he came from, uh, he, he took a train from Chicago to meet these immigrant uh, Bajan uh, pastors who said, this is the Lord, and they raised incredible money for people who were black back then to send this man to Africa because of the Assemblies of God, who he went to at first as a white organization, basically said it wasn't God's will for a black man to do missions work in Africa. So here you have black people of different cultures coming together and doing the work of God. But then fast forward about 80 years, now we have a presiding elder who is, who is African-American, but he is feeling the disdain of West Indians. Yes, I'm Bajan, so I can, I, can, I, can, I can tell you how, sadly, in some instances, West Indians look at, ha have, have a low opinion of African Americans. And this stuff can get in the church. Jamaicans, Haitians, Trinidadians. <laughs> can I go on? 
all of these different ethnicities and colors and we, 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 can, we can have playful bantering of you know, Nigerians and Ghanaians who have the better rice. And, and they, that can be playful, but also it can also become very prejudiced. Light skin, dark skin. It's quiet in here. So while we're pointing our finger at white people, we need to take care of our own business. And it's the same way in Asian communities. You know, Vietnamese, Vietnamese, uh, South Koreans, Chinese, come on for Japanese. People from Spain who are Europeans, but people from South America. Come on, folks. All this stuff can come in the church. Prejudice in the church. But I want to deal with the positive. Because this is Black History Month. And I want to I just end this with the power of the cross and the power of making sure that, that what Jesus had on his heart for the church comes to pass. We said that biblical justice is removing every obstacle and providing every opportunity for people to flourish and to accomplish their God-given purpose. I want you to show you a picture of a man by the name of um, uh, Reverend uh, Parham. If you could show that picture, Reverend Parham, why I talk to you about him. Reverend Parham, what many of you don't realize is that, could you keep this picture up there, please? Reverend Parham is, he is the founder, thank you. He is the founder of modern day Pentecostalism. I'm almost sure that none of you know about him. The famous explosion of Pentecostalism, modern Pentecostalism, which I was looking for some figures, but I couldn't find it. Uh, the last figures that I could find uh, was in 2011, where, where Pentecostalism worldwide is the largest, is the largest Protestant religion in the world. The only religion that is not larger than is, of course, uh, uh, the Muslim Islam and Catholicism. But Pentecostalism is the largest. And this man is the founder of it. Now, some of you won't know that because Azusa Street is what comes to mind. But William Parham, uh, back in 1899, as America, as the world rather, was going into a new century, which was the 1900s, he had a Bible school where young people were just seeking God and the Holy Spirit just invaded that prayer meeting and these young people started speaking in other tongues. They, 
It was just a move of God. And so you may say, well, where did Azusa Street come in? And this is the power, this is the power of reconciliation. The next man, William Seymour, we're talking about Black History Month. William Seymour, he gets credit as the founder of the Pentecostal movement, but he really was the accelerant. This is powerful as I was reading the history. Reverend Parham's church was located in the South during the Jim Crow laws. William Seymour heard about the move of the Holy Spirit and he had a hunger to get filled with the Holy Spirit and to learn more about the Bible. But the laws said black people were not allowed to go to Bible school with white people. But Reverend Parham saw the hunger for God in William Seymour and he broke the law and allowed William Seymour to be in his Bible college. William Seymour learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then moved to Azusa Street, California. And in 1905, the Holy Spirit fell and literally moved globally. Why? Because a white man broke the rules and saw how if the church could come together, God can do something that affects the world. The world. What am I saying? Reverend Parham removed the obstacle to William Seymour and provided him with an opportunity. And that opportunity changed the world. This Wednesday, we're going on a journey of reconciliation and repentance. And one of my good pastor friends is going to come here and just pray a prayer of repentance on behalf of white evangelicals. Now I wanna say this, let's not put all white evangelicals in one basket. That would be totally unfair because many have spoken out against what has taken place in the division of the body of Christ, whereas some, I'm not even gonna give that any publicity. My point is that there are some white evangelicals who are going to be joining us on Ash Wednesday and we're gonna to come together and show the world that Jesus' desire, Jesus' wish, Jesus' passion for his body 
is still alive and still can happen. What's Jesus' passion and Jesus' desire? John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. This is the Message Bible. This is Jesus' prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. The disciples' prayer is our Father who art in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. But the Lord's prayer, Jesus' prayer, is found in John 17. He says this, I'm praying not only for them, that is his disciples, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me because of them and their testimony about me. The goal is for all of them to become, to become one heart and one mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and one mind with us. The wor- then the world, if, if, if they can see the oneness, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. Can you see what the devil is doing? He's trying to create a black church and a white church and a Spanish church and an Asian church and and an Irish church and an Italian church and and a Ghanaian church and a Nigerian church and and a South African church and 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 a North American church, meaning the Northerners church and the Southern church. He's trying to create all these divisions where Jesus is saying, I want them to be unified and together just like we are God. I and them and you and me, then they'll be mature in the oneness and give the godless world, my goodness. If they become one, they will give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. See, the evidence of Jesus Christ being manifested is our becoming one in him. That's going to be the power of Ash Wednesday. Help us, Lord, to begin to repair the broken altar of reconciliation. Where, help us, Lord. I know that black pastors and black churches are hurt by what has occurred, but let not our pain and our anger and our frustration cause us to nullify what you desire, that we be one. A couple of individuals in our church got in contact with me and they asked me if I know about this project called the Repentance Project. The Repentance Project is a a journey through Lent season where 
people really work deeply, a deep work of repentance, a deep work of changing the mind and changing the heart. And I'm not saying that we as a church are going through this, but I was impressed looking at the schedule. And this is the thing that impressed me, and I'll close with this. Every day, it started out by saying, come, Holy Spirit. The only one who can help us in our sorry state as a church is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I started our year of biblical justice with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, just so that you understand where we're going as I'm waiting before the Lord, though we're concentrating on uh, racial justice this month and homelessness next month, we're not spending every Sunday talking about racial justice and every Sunday in March talking about homelessness. No, we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll take at least one Sunday, possibly two, but the other Sundays, we're going to become familiar with the Holy Spirit. I, I just believe that without the Holy Spirit, none of this stuff matters. Without the Holy Spirit, we will just be another black or mixed or whatever organization. But I believe that if we grab a hold of what the Bible said in Matthew, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. It's coming one of my favorite scriptures where, where they were about trying to make a decision about, about how do we keep the church together now that the Gentiles, the non-Jews people are, are becoming a part of the church and God is doing something powerful here. How do we make sure that we hold hold the church together as one so that we don't have a Jewish church and a Gentile church? And as the, as the apostles sought the Lord for direction, James, Jesus' brother, same mother, of course, different father, James, who's the bishop and the overseer, he says these words, I, cut a, I have a solution, and, it, and the solution seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and then it seems good to me. In other words, we have got to be a church that seeks direction from the Holy Spirit so that the hand of God is on this year of biblical justice. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that this is our year to make an impact on the city of Cambridge and around the world. Keep your hand upon our ministry, Lord. Even as this word went forth, help us to make sure that we don't allow prejudgments to come whether it's looking at people and, and making assumptions about who they are based on their education or their lack of education. The car they drive or the car they don't drive. Their skin color, their skin tone. The texture of their hair, Lord, all their weight. 
all of the things that we use to prejudge people, Lord, I pray that like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, I've made a decision not to know any person after their human body, but I want to know them after the Spirit. So Father, I pray that as we journey, as we journey as a church, doing the hard work of reconciliation, as we meet here online on Ash Wednesday, and then you know, Pastor Dan Smith will be here next Sunday talking about reparations, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves. Give us grace to be humble and say, God, what role do you want me to play in bringing the house of God, the church together? The church is bigger than how I've been offended. You're after something. If anybody should have been offended, it should have been you on the cross. So, Lord, I thank you for your grace. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask Jesus to save you from being a sinner. All that means, so all that means is that you don't belong to God. You say, Jesus, I want to belong to you. I want to be a part of your program, your desire, your passion of reconciliation, your passion of bringing all men under the rulership of God Jehovah. And if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you've done this for your first time, thank him, say, Lord, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you that I'm a child of God. And please, if you've done that, please write us. Please email us and let us know how we can be a blessing to you and how we can give you more information to help you grow in your walk with God. God bless you. I want to just close out with this prayer. Put your hands out if you've never, if you're new to our church. We always want to end with a blessing. It's been a long, it's a long weekend and want to just bless you that you would receive the blessings of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he look after you, shield you, defend you, and take care of you. May the Lord make his face shine, grin, and beam, and show his pleasure on you. May the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, pleasant, and compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you, side with you as you side with him. And finally, may the Lord give you his shalom, his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success. May the Lord remove anything that causes agitation, our discord was a divine purpose and destiny for your life. I bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody say, I receive that blessing. Again, if you need prayer, please uh, stay online and go to our, our Zoom. You'll see a Zoom address. Go there. There's a private room for one-on-one -on -one confidential prayer. We want to make sure that we are serving you with the love of God. God bless you and have a wonderful week.